Good morning. We've been looking at Advent from Isaiah's perspective. Um, Jesus was born king of the Jews. It says in Matthew 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And Jesus both entered this world and exited this world as king of the Jews. Read in John 19 that Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. So in order to understand Jesus clearly, we need to see him through Jewish eyes. Uh, This is where Isaiah comes into the picture, writing over 700 years before Christ. This Jewish prophet helps us to understand Jesus' mission and his passion. Look what Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, 1 through 6. As who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom Has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Over the centuries, there has been a bitter conflict, a tug of war over what this passage teaches. Different theologians have seen the suffering servant very differently. Christian theologians insist that the suffering servant is Jesus and with good reason. What it says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You don't need to know much about the Gospels to understand how much opposition Jesus faced when he was here. goes on, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. And in terms of his suffering on our behalf to allow us to enter into the kingdom of heaven, these verses rightly are posted upon the life of Jesus. Jewish theologians, they insist that the suffering servant is not Jesus in particular, but Israel. And they have good reasons to believe so. There are four servant psalms. In Isaiah's prophecy, let me just read a few, and it seems to overtly indicate that it's Israel who is the servant. 
It says in Isaiah 41, it's not in you, just listen. Uh, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's in Isaiah 41, 8 and 9. And then Isaiah 49, it says, The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name, and he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Who is right? Is the suffering servant Jesus or is the suffering servant Israel? Let's take a run at answering this question. But in order to do so, we must we have to discuss the promise of peace and the price of peace. Look what it says in your worship folder. Um, in terms of Genesis 12, 1 through 3, it's where God introduces himself to the human race through Abraham. And here's what it says. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God chose to introduce himself to his creation through Abraham and his children. And at the time that he did this, there was nothing special about Abraham. He was a polytheist, believed in a number of different gods, but God looks across mankind and says, for his purposes, I choose you and your children to be those to and through whom I will reveal myself to mankind. The covenant was, again, a to and through covenant in which God promised to extend blessing to every race of man through the children of Abraham. God promised that the children of Abraham would be conduits of divine blessing to the rest of mankind. And the promise applies to the nation of Israel, but it also applies to Jesus Christ. Paul writes, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Paul understood that there is a thread that connects Jesus, Jews, and Gentiles. And it's not very easy to pull apart. They're all interrelated and intertwined. Uh, look what it says in Romans 15. It writes, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, 
even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So what it says, breaking down and just picking a few of the phrases, Christ became a servant to the circumcised. The circumcised are the Jews. So Jesus comes specifically to be a servant to a Jewish cause, to represent the purposes for which God selected out the children of Abraham for his purposes. And it says, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, indicating that to and through you, every nation on the earth will be blessed. And what Jesus comes to do is serve Israel's interest in being that conduit of divine blessing to the world. Fortunately, these promises that are directed through Israel, involve us directly. The world is divided into there's Jews and Gentiles, and we're Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. Here's what it says, and Jesus will accomplish this in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. That's what it says. So there's all this together. It's not very easy to pull apart Jews and Jesus and Gentiles. It's all threaded together. That's what we find when we look at the promise of peace. And we find the same thing when we look at the price of peace. Um, it's what Paul says in Romans 11, verse 25 through 29. says, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Jewish rejection of Jesus was purposed and planned. It was not God's objective or agenda that all Jews, most Jews, the majority of Jews, would understand Jesus and would embrace him as Messiah. It was God's purpose that some would, the minority, but not the majority. It says a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When it talks about a partial hardening has come upon Israel, that's not happenstance. It's the, the sense of that is that God did it. It's not a hardening that we can attribute to them, anything they lack, a lack of faith, a lack of insight. The hardening comes because it's purposed. It was something that God directed so that most Jews, when Jesus was here, did not respond because they were not supposed to respond. That's what Paul understands. Um, 
God purposefully put a roadblock in front of most Jews in order to wave Gentiles into eternal existence. That's what Paul understood. And so we've talked about this before. It's kind of like this. And so let you are Gentiles and you are Jews. Um, God initiated it so that there would be enough Jews to go and let Gentiles know that they are being summoned into God's forever family. So God picks enough Jews to let Gentiles know, and he waves Gentiles in. And there's a stop sign on Jews. Enough to seed the Gentile church. At some point, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, God's going to go, stop. And he's going to turn back to his firstborn. And he's going to say, well done. Come on in. So that's what Paul seems to be saying. And we've talked about it. Anti-Semitism arose early on in the church. What the Gentile church did is they looked over at the Jews. Look over it. Let's mention those Jews. Look over at them. Look at them. Look at them. You know, and so what, what ended up happening early on, early on, Christian teachers and theologians looking at Jews and saying, Christ killers. And anti-Semitism arose in the church beginning in the second century, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've talked about it. Good, good people. Augustine, Luther, had significant degrees of anti-Semitism in their teaching. It's misguided. That's what Paul writes, lest you be wise in your own sight. Lest you be wise in your own sight. He's talking to Gentiles. And what he's saying, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, that a partial hardening has occurred until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. This partial hardening is something that God did. Paul cautions the Gentiles not to assume it wasn't about Jewish defects, and it wasn't about Gentile assets. It was about God's plan of salvation. That's the way he determined it. Um, God didn't intend that all Israelites would believe in Jesus, only enough Israelites to open the door of heaven to Gentiles, as we've said. If we inspect the door that leads to eternal existence, and if you look at the doorknob, it has Jewish fingerprints on it. Good news, because this is what God is like. He hasn't rejected his firstborn. Hasn't. Just for a time, there's a stop sign. Won't last forever. Uh, in this way, it says, all Israel will be saved. When it says all, I don't know if it means every single one. I don't think so. But as part were hardened, all will be summoned. I think that's what it means. Part were hardened when Jesus came. That's going to be 
overturned when the time of the Gentiles stops, and then all Israel will be saved because they will all have the opportunity. Again, we don't. But um, it says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And this is something about God. Once he selects people, he doesn't cast them aside. He has not done that with Jews and will not do that, which is good news for us. God, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. When God fixes his invitation and hope on people, he doesn't look and say, ah, doesn't do that. He doesn't do that, either Jews or Gentiles. Um, we do well to consider that the first responders to the gospel, the first Christians, were Jews. And we would do well to consider what they endured to bless Gentiles. And again, what God did, he says, through you, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. God didn't use, however, Israel as a container. Initially, what what was felt, well, then you have to be Jewish to become Christian, right? And that's that's not the way it was. There's a couple of ways that God could bless somebody. He could make Jews a container. A container is something, it fills up. And then when it fills up to the top, it overflows. And, and given that, if that's our picture, that God uses Israel as a container and so fills up Israel that they spill over and eternal life spills over into the Gentiles. That's one way to do it. I don't think that's the way it happened. It's a conduit. And so a conduit is different from a container. A conduit doesn't get filled up. It experiences stuff as it goes through, and that's what God does with Israel. They're not a container, they're a conduit. And the offer of eternal life flows through Jews to Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is end, and then it'll get closed off. And then God looks and makes his firstborn a container. Um Israel wasn't intended to hold on to the blessing that coursed through them to the Gentiles. And when a Bible talks initially, we have this treasure in jars of clay and about the ordinary treatment that jars of clay occurred because the jars of clay hold a tremendous message that ends up being channeled to Gentiles. A, a, a message beyond, well, a message involving eternal existence. God opening up the doors of heaven freely to Gentiles. And what it indicates, the jars of clay experience difficult treatment in transmitting that message. Who are the jars of clay? The Jews, initially, Jewish Christians, who in offering the gift of eternal existence, in offering the opportunity for Gentiles to experience peace with God, paid a price to do so. Says Paul writes, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, Paul writes, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. The message of God channeled through the first Jewish Christians was that God was throwing open the doors of eternal life to Gentiles, even though we were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. We have done nothing to merit this bestowal of this free gift. It's not because of our assets, not because of their deficits, it's because of grace. Grace means unmerited favor. And, and that's what we are to understand that we as Gentiles receive the opportunity to have eternal existence because God decrees, I want more kids. And I don't just want Jewish kids, I want Gentile kids. I want to be your father. I want you to be part of my forever family. And it's not because you all that great. It's not because you're holy and righteous. It's not because you keep the commandments in spite of the fact that you don't. Because grace is unmerited favor. And so, um, this free gift was channeled through Jews to us. It came free of charge. It comes free of charge. You just accept it. But it really wasn't free. Those who bore this gift paid a price to do so. So Paul writes, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Paul writes, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Um, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body that is the church. You know what Paul saw? In order to transmit the offer of eternal life to Gentiles, he would need to suffer to do so. And he did. And so did the first tier of responders to the gospel who were Jews, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jew, 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 Jewish Christian, and who as jars of clay exist to offer the gift of eternal life and to pay a price in doing so. So eternal life is free. But the firstborn of the children of Abraham paid a price. And is that not what God said to Abraham when he picked him? He said, Abraham, to you and through you, every nation on the earth will be blessed. That was a difficult call. And yet, 
one which God has accomplished through his firstborn. Uh, Paul indicates that his suffering augmented Jesus' suffering. Um, and it wasn't just Jesus' suffering then. It's, it was the Jewish Christians who begat us, Gentile Christians, suffered to do so. Okay, so there's a question. We started off with a question, and we're going to answer it. Who is the suffering servant, Jesus or Israel? We got the wrong conjunction. It's not an or, it's an and. It's not an or. Jesus or Israel, he's the king of the Jews. It's Jesus and Israel. The suffering servant. It's two faces. Um, So in light of that, listen and understand, I think this does apply to both. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The children of Israel and their king, Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews, suffered in order to deliver a gift to us that we might experience peace with God. Sing a final song. Wow. The angels are going to pull that off. Yeah. Let me pray for us. <laughs> God, thank you that that song is over. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's pray. Take two. <laughs> Father, I do thank you for uh, your purposes and You even take things from minor key and create a major chord. Um, The work of eternal life is conflicted. It involves exclusion and inclusion, exclusion for the sake of inclusion. And when when the dust settles, we will perceive that you are a God who is infinitely wise in how you steward 
the offer of eternal existence, and we will be with you eternally through faith in Christ, and we will be awestruck at how you have created and expedited and offered the gift of eternal existence. We will see you did this because it was your purpose. You wanted to. Uh, You are eternal and you always have been and you want to include your creation in eternal existence. And, And you sent your son for that purpose as one of the children of Israel. And it was Jesus who is the one who is the quintessential Jew, the king of the Jews. But you put him in place in order to offer the gift of eternal life to Gentiles. And for that, we thank you that you want to be a God of Jew and Gentile, of mankind as a whole. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.